It's good to be back tonight for the opportunity to worship God together. Appreciate your presence here and your having prioritized this uh, time over other things and uh, your presence. Hopefully all of our presence is an encouragement and a source of edification for each of us. And so while we're worshiping God together, we're also building up and strengthening uh, one another. What a wonderful sermon uh, we were privileged to hear this morning about the home. And that sermon that Caleb preached stands on its own. He covered every aspect of that particular subject. And uh, really, he told us what the home is supposed to look like according to God's blueprint. He gave us examples of what it doesn't look like. And just if you weren't here this morning to hear that, I commend that sermon to you, and hopefully you'll go back and listen to it. Tonight, as Caleb mentioned, we're turning our attention a little bit and still looking at the home, but coming at it from a different uh, perspective. Uh, that perspective. <laughs> you know, if you uh, are in the area of Pigeon Forge in Tennessee and you're on the main thoroughfare uh, in that region going through Pigeon Forge, Sevierville, Pigeon Forge on your way to Gatlinburg. There's a lot of scenery, a lot of sights to see, but off to the side of the road, there's this house. And the facade of it, at least, is upside down. And it's, you probably can't see the name on it, but it says Wonderworks. And it's a museum I think primarily for children, but it's science-oriented uh, as I understand it. And as a preacher uh, who sees a sermon and everything that he looks at or a sermon illustration, I've often looked at that house and thought, yeah, there's a lot of truth uh, in that relative to the houses, the homes of our land uh, today. And so I would just kind of leave that there for you to think about. When you think about the concept of home in our world today, as, as you and I think about this, the world's blueprint for the home. You know, what Caleb said this morning was right in line. God has a blueprint for the home. He really does. And it's revealed in his word. He tells us what the home should look like. But it's really a misnomer to say the world's blueprint for the home because there's really not a blueprint. People in the world and more important to us tonight, Christians who operate from the framework of worldly thinking don't even have a blueprint for their home. What if in our community here, the facade of the houses depicted the blueprint of that home inside that house? And so what I'm saying is, if it's a home in a house that looks like what Caleb described this morning, it's right side up. If it's a home designed the way the world does home, and the facade was upside down like this, what would our community look like? Just think about that. 
And how many of the houses you passed would be upside down? Because after all, that's representative of the home that's inside that, that structure. I'm afraid more would be upside down than right side up. And maybe if we just bring it a little closer to home and asked for Christians, if we were just assessing our homes based upon the facade of our houses that depicted what was going on inside, what would it look like? What would our Christian community look like? And how many of them would be upside down like the one on the screen? The fruit of your home is very revealing about the blueprint that you and I, for that matter, are following. And so Caleb showed us God's blueprint this morning. What I would like to do tonight is, like I said, there's not a blueprint for the world. It's all over the place. But what are some of the themes? And what are some of the problems that come out of those themes? And I know Caleb said this morning that there was a road he wasn't going to go down, not that it's not an important road, but it's not advantageous, was not advantageous for our discussion. I'm not, it's not my goal tonight to get into all of the craziness because there's a lot of crazy. What I'm more concerned about is the things that threaten our Christian homes because we're allowing the world to influence us. <clears throat> And so I want to look at some key themes that conflict or even derail the divine ideal that was described in the sermon this morning. We're just going to split this in half. I want to look at some models that are typically followed in the world or that arise out of worldly influence and worldly mindedness. And then I want to look at some problems that go along with those models uh, this sermon could go in a lot of different directions, and you will probably think as I'm going through this or after I'm done, you could have said this. Well, I'm going to get so much on the slide, but no, just kidding. You're prob probably, there are more things, but these are some that stood out to me, and this is certainly not an exhaustive list. But here's the first one. It's the out-of-order model. Just doing things out of order. Sometimes things get done in the correct order. And out of order, really regardless of what it is, when you do things out of order, you bring about hardship, you bring out about extra work, and sometimes you create a situation where there are no solutions. I have... I'm, this is just a little bit of self-disclosure, and I'm going to run from this as quickly as I can after saying it. But sometimes in putting things together, I get ahead of the blueprint. And I think it's got four legs. You put one on each corner, and it doesn't really matter what corner it goes on because a leg is a leg. And then I get the couple of legs on, or maybe all four legs, and I realize, no, those two needed to be on that side, not any side. And so I've created some hardship. Now I have to go back and undo that, move the legs around, and fix it because the blueprint 
was not followed. Now that's enough of that. I'm going to get away from that <clears throat> before I get elbowed in the ribs. Hardship, extra work, or even no solution. Sometimes, because we don't follow the blueprint, we get ourselves into a situation where there's really not a good workable solution. I like the illustration of the jar where an individual un unfamiliar with the exercise is given some stones, some pebbles, and some sand. And they're given the task of getting as much of that into the jar as they can. And so maybe they begin with the sand and they fill the jar up about halfway with sand and then they move to the stones and realize they took up too much room, they can't get all the stones in there. And then they try various configurations of that and they're not able to get all of the materials in there. But the blueprint, the ideal for that is to put those larger stones in first, then the pebbles, and then allow the sand to go in and fill in the crevices to where you can get everything that you intended in the jar. When we get things out of order as it relates to the home, we create situations where we can't fit everything in that needs to be fit in. Caleb talked a lot about that this morning. I have challenged this congregation for years with respect to young children and warning us that if we're not careful, the world is going to dictate to us what things are important and fill our lives and our schedules up with so much stuff that we can't, we don't have room in the jar to fit in the things that are important. Hopefully, we realize that and we're, we're working our plan relative to understanding that there's an order to how we're supposed to do things. If we don't, and when we don't, we know that we get hardship, we get extra work, and we even end up with solutions that just aren't workable. But think about the home and the marriage and the ingredients that go into making a home according to God's blueprint and how sometimes the order is not right. Sometimes the individuals that come together to make a home are not mature enough to do that. The maturation is not there yet in the individuals. I've told couples that I have done premarital counseling for that marriage requires two whole, complete individuals. Not a man who romantically and poetically says to a woman, you complete me. You better run from a man like that who's not complete because you want a complete man. You want a whole man. But many times individuals come into the marriage relationship and they're not mature. They're not ready for that. And they end up having to grow up together. Not saying it can't work or happen. What I'm saying is when we don't get the order right, we end up with hardship. We end up with extra work and sometimes no solution for our problem. <clears throat> and so we need mature individuals who come together 
for marriage, right? Maturity, then marriage, and if we'll just alliterate this, then making children. That's the right order. Maturity, marriage, and then the children. <clears throat> not by God's design and ideal, not in any other order. And when there's another order, then we have complications, hardship, and, di and difficulty. Again, the world has no order. Uh, the world in the world, people come to marriage immature. They don't, they don't know what their roles are. They don't know what to expect. They don't bring anything to it to make the marriage what God wants it to be. Today, most people are just shacking up. They're not even bothering with getting married. They're just going to live together and pretend or at least enjoy the benefits of that relationship without the commitment of it. That's not God's order. And then many cases in our world, we end up with the children before the marriage, children out of wedlock. And you know, that be that as it may, once you have that situation, you have to deal with what you have. What I'm pointing out to us is that's not the plan. That's not the blueprint. God has a blueprint that we're supposed to follow. And when we get it out of order, then we have hardship. We have extra work and we often have no solutions. Here's the second one. No forethought. No forethought. Sometimes people have the right order in mind. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, as a man, I'm gonna grow up. I'm going to get a job so that I can support a family, and then I'm gonna have a wife and and hopefully children. They have the right order in mind, but not a lot of forethought about what that home is supposed to look like. <clears throat> Christian young men. And Christian young women, we our, many of you will remember this. In that old building, we had a period of time where we were going through Bible facts with our young people before services. And there were, you know, very, how many books in the Bible? A lot, a lot of the same stuff that's in the EHT material. But there were some questions about the home and about forethought. Even for little children, we were talking forethought about marriage. And we were teaching by memorization and rote routine, our children were saying, when I grow up, I'm going to marry a faithful Christian. Not just a Christian, but a faithful Christian. One who is faithful to God. One who puts God before everything else in their life. And so you can have the correct order in mind, but that's not everything. You need the forethought. What kind of person am I going to marry? What does that look like? Who's going to be the right mate for me? Now, many mates change and become better people post-marriage, but that's the exception, not the rule. It should be our intent to put the thought in ahead of time to make sure that we're building a home that's going, that, that has the ingredients to glorify and honor God. What, what are some things that are important relative to building the home 
with some forethought. Well, spiritual, right? Uh, as a young lady, you should be looking for a man to build a home with who is a spiritual person who loves God and who loves God's word and loves God's will and who is going to love God more than he loves you. And for young men, you need to be looking for a woman that does just the same and so spiritual. But that's not all of it. What about emotional? What kind of person is he or she emotionally? Are they stable emotionally? Are they in control of themselves? Or are you going to end up in a home situation that Solomon talked about, whether it's better to live in the corner of the attic than to dwell in a home with a contentious woman, or vice versa, a man who is not in control of himself emotionally. So I would look at that. And you can do some digging up the family tree to get some idea about that as well and look at what kind of home environment they, they lived in. Uh, one of the things I do with young couples in premarital counseling is we talk about the homes that they were brought up in, the wife and the husband, and they look at one another's homes and they say, these are things about your home environment that I would like in our home environment. These are things in your home environment that I don't want to bring over into our home environment. It's important to have some forethought and do some planning as you think about the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Psychologically, where or is the person at? Because any of the forethought that you don't take care of on the front end is what you're going to live with for the rest of your life. Because once you enter into a marriage relationship and you build a home, those ingredients that you put into the spiritual walls and the spiritual foundation and the spiritual roof, that's your home. You can't say, well, I should have done my homework. Uh, I want a do-over. You don't get a do-over. Worldly-minded people don't put the proper forethought into building their home. And what I'm telling us tonight is, as Christians, we need to keep the world out of our homes so that that is not the kind of homes that we build and develop. What kind of work ethic? <laughs> if he's 30 years old, no job, and still living at home, 30 years old, no job, still living at home with mom and dad, I would be very careful. What's his work ethic? What's her work ethic? Caleb talked this morning about those roles and responsibilities that are part of God's blueprint. And so as a person you're looking at to build a home with, does he or she line up with that blueprint? Or is something else going on there? What kind of work ethic, what kind of family values does this individual have? Because again, that's the concrete. That's the rebarb in the concrete. 
That's the studs. That's the whole structure of the house, the home that you're building. And you need to make sure you're working with good materials. And I would look at 1 Corinthians 13 and look at all that Paul says about love there in that chapter and make sure that the person that I'm trying to build a home with can line up as close as humanly possible to that. Or Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 12 that talk about the virtuous wife, the virtuous woman, and her price and her value. Or 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, the husband's treatment. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. How does he treat you? How does she treat you? Those are important things that go along with the forethought. And you might say, well, I don't know. Well, don't tie that knot yet. Give it some time. Sit on it and see what kind of person they are. Don't jump into it and say, well, it'll all work out. That's worldly-minded thinking. That's not the kind of thinking that lines up with God's blueprint. Here's the third one. No real goal. What is the central aim of your home? What is the central aim of my home? Now, Caleb told us this morning. I, I don't, I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't know of a better one than Joshua chapter 24, where G, jo, jo, uh, Joshua challenged the Israelite people to put away all of the home ingredients that look like that structure up there, upside down and to make sure they were building their homes in a way that lined up with the blueprint that God has given. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But how many homes today are started with no real goal in mind? How, how many homes today are started from the perspective of our goal is to glorify God and get every member in this family to heaven. Now, that, that's our goal. That's our aim. And everything else, everything else is secondary to that. How many homes are built that way? Well, if we're operating by the modality of the world, that's not going to be, that's not going to be our method. We're just going to wing it. But we don't wing it. We build according to the blueprint that God has given here are some models that I think represent what we see in the world. Out of order, no forethought, no real goal. And I would challenge us in our present homes and for you young people who are thinking about marriage sometime way off out there in the future. Think about that and make sure that's not the model you're following. You're following the blueprint that God has given. Now, what are some problems that arise when the divine blueprint is not followed? I have uh, five of them for us. These are, this, this is the fruit that you typically get when you don't follow God's blueprint for the home. The first one is a lack of direction. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul said, you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's direction, 
to bring them up, to take them and guide them where they need to go. In the worldly home, you don't have that kind of direction. I think about Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, mamas and daddies. And you shall teach them to your children diligently. Talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Direction, direction direction. On every hand, the godly home has direction, and it's clear. Whereas a worldly home lacks, a worldly designed home lacks direction. Proverbs chapter 22 and 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go. Direction is the idea there. And so the first problem is, when you don't build according to God's blueprint, when you follow the world's blueprint, you build a home that has a lack of direction. Here's the second one, a lack of distinction. In Leviticus 10.10, 10, God through Moses told the Israelite people to make a distinction between what was holy and what was not holy or what was unholy, what was clean and what was unclean. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26, Ezekiel is criticizing the Israelite people and the priest in particular, and he says, they violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. The priest under the Levitical system had allowed a situation to arise where people didn't really know the difference between holy and unholy. And I would say that's the situation in the world we are today. Look at some religious environments that are nothing more than a concert or some sort of entertainment to appease and satisfy people. They have no idea about the difference between holy and unholy. And in a worldly-minded home, we bring up families that can't make a distinction either. They can't tell the difference between what God wants them to do and what Satan's persuading them to do. They can't make a distinction between what should be priority and what should be secondary because we've muddied the lines between holy and unholy by building according to a model given to us by the world rather than a model given by God. Mark chapter 12 and verse 30 says, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with your strength, with every fiber of my being to love God, to make a distinction. Whereas 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, love not the world. Love God, love not the world. But can our homes make that kind of distinction? Not if we're building according to a blueprint or a mode or mo model given to us by the world. And so there's a lack of distinction when we don't build according to the blueprint. Number three, a lack of discipline. I, if you have any sense 
of the news and the world in which we are living today, this one demonstrates itself. Just watch some news at the chaos and the lack of discipline and order that's taking place in our society today and how people commit some of the most heinous crimes and just walk away free with no consequences, no discipline at all in society. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. I know that this verse is a turnoff for some folks because of the rod. Might I suggest to you not to run from this passage so quickly? Even if your mode of disciplining your child is not a swift spanking when they disobey you, there is a principle in this verse I would suggest to you is even more important than the method you use. And it says it, he who spares or maybe an even better translation of that word would be withholds. Whatever your method of discipline is in the home, when you withhold it, when you ought to be administering it, you do more damage than you realize. Just like in our society. If you rob a grocery store, you're going to jail. If you hold a gun to somebody's head and rob them, you're going to prison. If you kill somebody in committing a robbery, you're likely going to face a death penalty. Now, that's the communication, but how often is that withheld? How often do, do the disciplinarians actually go through with that in society? Very rarely. And so what happens? It just emboldens the people who did it the first time to keep doing it. And if you or I, for that matter, tell our child, if you do that again, I'm going to spank you. If you do that again, I'm going to take it away from you. And then they do it. And you don't do what you said you were going to do. You withhold the rod. You do great damage because you teach them that discipline is nothing and that there are no consequences to their actions. And it happens in the world every day. Just go to Walmart and watch kids acting up in the aisle and mom says, if you do that again, I'm going to beat you. Sometimes that's what they say. But they don't do anything. And kids are running all over parents today because of a lack of discipline in the model that the world gives for the home. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 reminds that discipline is painful. It, they're supposed to feel it somehow. But if we withhold it, they don't feel it. Whatever that looks like for you in, in your home. I'm not trying to endorse a specific method of discipline, what I am endorsing is if you say this is what's going to happen and it was rightful and sound in reasoning, then you better administer it or you're going to go backwards instead of forward. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Thayer has that word as exasperate. Don't exasperate your children. 
The chaos of discipline in some homes is so bad that it's destructive because the parents aren't in control of themselves when they administer the discipline. And so the world says, this is what discipline looks like. But God says, my blueprint has discipline looking like this. Number next, dialogue. Our communication in our homes, if we're following the world's methods and models, it's horrible. Dialogue is. But if we're following God's, it doesn't look like that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 and 26 admonish us to put away lying, to speak truth with one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Our dialogue with one another, moms and dads and children, husbands and wives. Colossians chapter 3, or Proverbs chapter, let me back up. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Just the words that you choose in a moment or an instant of time can make all the difference in the way the dialogue unfolds. And the world says, just speak your mind, just lash out, just let your opinion be heard. And what I'm telling us is God is not interested in us further destroying the situation through our dialogue, but rather to work according to his blueprint. A soft answer turns away wrath. That's not compromise. That's not giving in to wrong. It's just thinking about how the dialogue is going to affect the situation. Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We need to be more forgiving in our homes and think about how we've been forgiven and extend that same grace and mercy to the people in our homes. There should be more unconditional positive regard in our dialogue. And what I mean by that is an attitude of acceptance and empathy toward the person, not the sin or the behavior if, it, if it's wrong, but the person in order to promote growth, health, and positive change. And so our dialogue cannot be like the world's. It needs to be according to the blueprint that God has given. And then this last one, dysregulated. A lack of regulation of ourselves as individuals in the home is modeled after the world, not after the standard that God has given us. Proverbs 25, 28 says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down, without walls. We need to be in control of ourselves in the home. We need to be regulated people, a whole person in control of ourselves. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says, for the fruit of the Spirit, that is the things that are supposed to be developing in, in me when I saturate myself with the Word of God, they are love, Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In control of ourselves, not out of control, 
where anytime our temper gets up, everybody in the house runs and hides. That's not regulation. That's dysregulation. And the world says that's okay. But God's blueprint calls for order, not chaos in the home. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We need to be regulated. A passage that resonates with me more and more as I think about it is found in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus encountered the demonic man who had legions of demons in him. But after his encounter with Jesus, the Bible says of that man, he was sitting, he was clothed, and he was in his right mind. He was a regulated person. He was in control of himself, whereas formerly he was out of control. And when you and I spend time with Jesus and his word, when we're thinking about our home from this perspective of the blueprint that he has given, our own self-regulation will become important to us. We will want to make sure that we have ourselves in hand because that's the best thing for the home. If we're honest with ourselves, we can identify the kind of home that we're, we're building. Whether we've already started, whether we've been in it for a while, or whether we're just starting out, we ought to be able to identify the kind of home that we're building based upon the messages from God's Word that we've heard today. My building projects often have a mixture where there's some following the blueprint, some not so much following the blueprint. My wife can attest to that. And our homes might look like that as well. But what I'm trying to challenge us to do tonight, in line with what Caleb was trying to challenge us to do this morning, is if we are building our home based on the blueprint that God has given, then I challenge us to have the conviction to continue that. Unashamed, without apology, just continue to be convicted that that's the right way to go and keep plugging away at it. But if that's not what we're doing, if it looks more like this, then my challenge to all of us is to have the courage to change it and to get our homes more in line with the blueprint that God has given us. May God help us to have homes that glorify and honor Him and that are working diligently to get every member of it to heaven. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, might you be encouraged to obey the gospel through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of your sins. Become a child of God, a member of His home tonight. Maybe you're not, maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you haven't lived your life in alignment with His blueprint for you individually or as a husband, or as a father, a mother, a wife, a child, toward parents, whatever that is, use tonight, use this occasion to evaluate your situation and change what needs to be changed. If we can help you in a public way, why don't you come as we stand and sing?
Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.